0: Hey everyone, welcome to PunkCast. My name is William Maxwell. I'm a student of Web3 and the owner of Punk9527. CryptoPunks are 10,000 uniquely generated characters stored permanently on the Ethereum blockchain. No punk is the same. This is a show dedicated to celebrating the punks behind the punk. My hope for this podcast is that we capture the essence of the punk culture, elevate the brand and the individual behind the punk. One last thing. Projects discussed in the show is not financial advice. Crypto and NFTs are a volatile and risky asset class. Please always do your own research. Other than that, let's go. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Punkcast. Today we're back with a beautiful punk. She is punk8271 with three attributes, bandana, green eyeshadow and purple lipstick. In real life, however, he's an ex-merchant marine working on cargo ships, but then securing a pilot's license and currently working as an airline pilot. He's also an avid photographer, the creator of Voyagers, and also a well-known collector in this space. Please welcome the one and only Ozark to the show. Ozark, my man. How are you? (laughs) Good. Thank you. Thanks
1: for having me. Love what you're building with this. You're actually building an institution here. I love
0: it. Ah, fantastic. Appreciate the comments and, uh, and the sentiment. Like, I could probably say the same about you. I've, I've been hearing a lot of good things about, uh, about you from other punks. And uh, I think you're one of the punks that they wanted to hear the story of. And so I guess here we are. But uh, I'd be interested to sort of understand, to start off, how did you come up with Ozark? Like, what is that?
1: So Ozark was the persona that I chose to kind of represent me in NFTs and in art. So I fell down kind of the Bitcoin rabbit hole back in 17. And, you know, that was my sort of introduction to Anon culture, to Twitter culture, and then the subculture of like crypto Twitter, you know, which I think all of us in the space know it's a wild ride. So it kind of was pretty crazy for me. And then when I started to realize that Voyages was going to become an NFT project, I started to look for, you know, uh, names and 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 how to best go about it, and I uh, went all the way back to Arkansas, <laughs> of all places. So I learned to fly planes in Oklahoma in a flight school in Tulsa. I'm still you know just deeply fond of that that town and and of the people there. I'm good friends with many of them. And oh, by the way, one of my missions for this podcast is is to get you uh, and everyone else listening. Uh, to get their pilot's license. This is going to happen. Has to happen. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so when you get your pilot's license, uh, you'll see that you know the FAA or whatever jurisdiction you're doing it under requires you to uh, go through these um, you know steps to earn your license. And one of those is to do long cross-country flights, as they're called, above a certain distance, above a certain time. And what you're doing really is just proving your competence at navigation. And um, I was looking at the map of, uh, you know, the kind of the Midwest one day, just in one, in one of the briefing rooms at the flight school. And I realized that I hadn't really been out to the east that much. I'd been up, you know, because I'm a huge fan of barbecue. And so obviously most of my trips were down south to like Denton and, and Armadillo in Texas, you know, getting lots of great barbecue out there. And then I realized I hadn't been up uh, towards Arkansas and planned this flight out. To uh, just picked an airport and it happened to be called Ozark. <laughs> and uh, for those of uh, any listeners from the US, will know like the Ozarks are up there and the beautiful mountain range. This was towards the end of my training. I was, you know, in my mid 20s. I had given up a career at sea, spending all my life savings, a lot of my parents' life savings as well, to become uh, a pilot. And so it was this incredible day. I, I can still remember it. And flew in uh, to this airport, it was beautiful, surrounded by hills. And uh, yeah, it was just it just represented like the high point of that whole experience for me. And so that was kind of the obvious choice for, <laughs> for the name. And uh, on Twitter, I'm Ozark Trent. And everyone's like, where did the heck did Trent come from? And Trent, uh, so I've, some of the planes that I fly are equipped with Rolls-Royce Trent engines. And so the Trent just came from there. <laughs>
0: Ah, makes a lot of sense. Well, it's a, it's a beautiful name and a story behind it. I, I was hoping um, for a bit more of an exotic answer because I was a big fan of Ozark on Netflix. I'm not sure if you've seen that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I it's get it a, all the time. Uh, it's like, are you named after the show? I'm like, <laughs> no, <laughs> but I can be, you know. I, I, I thought there'd be some secret drug deals and and, uh, <laughs> and, 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 and gang, gangster work in the background <laughs> there, but um, not meant to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, amazing. Well, welcome to Punkcast, Ozark, and thank you. Uh, really, so happy to be yeah, here. Lovely to have you on. And um, yeah, so why don't you tell us about yourself? Who is Ozark? You know, what's your background? Where'd you come from? Tell us your story.
1: Yeah, from India. Uh, grew up in India. My father was in the air force, and uh, you know that life. Uh, I'm sure you've heard or know. It uh, involves a lot of moving around, so we moved around the country quite a bit. Yeah, I just kind of grew up uh, playing a lot of sports, always always wanted to be a pilot. Uh, But when I graduated from high school, you know, the the money required to actually get a pilot's license at that time, we didn't really have it. So um, uh, decided to uh, go out to sea, because (laughs) my whole family is like, either they're either just PhDs in biology or doctors, and I just didn't want anything to do with that. So decided to become like the black sheep of the family and kind of just leave that whole, you know, academic side behind. And uh, yep, so I we went out to sea and basically spent uh, the next nine years uh, in the merchant navy or the merchant marine, as it's sometimes called in the U.S., I was uh, uh, started as an apprentice and worked my way up to second officer, which is you're basically a a navigator, uh, amongst other things. Yeah, I mean the time at sea was absolutely magical. Looking back, at the time I kind of hated it (laughs) because my default setting is to just be around people, and I I love being around people. And you know, I I, you know, uh, so kind of missed all of that. And you'd come home from uh, a contract or a tour on the ship. And all your friends would be talking about I don't know movies or other things that you had no clue about, and you're like, you know, what are you guys even talking about? So you always felt like a bit of an outsider. I was always on the lookout for what I would do next, and I was just really lucky, you know, to be in the right place at the right time. I this was like mid two thousands. Uh, the economy in India started opening up, and the government started like allowing other airlines to operate, and it was just this magical time where basically. There were these uh, pilot jobs are sometimes hard to get, you know, and it was a time when there were a lot of jobs going. So, yeah, I just made this big decision, took everything I had, <laughs> uh, asked my dad and mom for more money and uh, went out to Tulsa to get my license. And uh, that's, that's it, really. I, I flew in India for um, several carriers for a few years and then came out here to Dubai to fly for a large uh, international airline. And I've uh, been sort of flying long haul ever since.
0: Yeah, that's,
1: that's really it for the, the 36,000 feet foot view, you know.
0: <laughs> no, it's, um, I mean, it's just sort of touched on so many different things there. Maybe we just sort of start with, I guess, high school and transitioning into, I guess, the Merchant Marines. I mean, of all the things that you could have done. I mean, what did you decide to go out to sea and uh, choose the merchant marine life for uh, for nine years? Yeah, so
1: I mean, as I said, it's the, like it was the fastest way to get out of uh, having to go to college, <laughs> and also you were paid a stipend uh, at the time. It was believe it or not, it was four hundred dollars a month. <laughs> so basically, your average uh, gas fee for <laughs> you know one of your uh, hot mints <laughs> on. Uh, <laughs> so yeah so i used to get uh, you you would get paid immediately i thought there was no study involved turns out there was a lot of study involved but the good news is i loved it you know i, I actually became a, a, a met officer a meteorological officer on board the ship um, got involved with a whole bunch of other projects as well with uh, this uh, this thing called the nautical institute um so I did have that academic bent that I I, can, I I guess I get from my family, but I just didn't want to apply it to like <laughs> the life sciences and, and just boring stuff like that. It's not boring, I know, but I mean to me it was at the time anyway.
0: Yeah, so I was going to ask, like when, when you're on one of these tours, like how long would you be away on the waterfall like what, uh, what sort of duration does that look like? You know, it's
1: wild. The last ship that I ever uh, sailed on, uh, she is called the Burgayy Land, and she's one of the biggest ships in the world. This is a behemoth, like it's like 60 meters wide, almost 400 meters long. And we would do this incredible uh, trip where you'd go from Brazil all the way to Japan. And the ship's too big to go via the Panama Canal, of course. And you can't go around uh, the Cape, Cape Fear. So what you would do is you'd go Cape of Good Hope. But you, but because of how uh, spherical trigonometry works and because of the, because the Earth is round, you have to take something called a great circle track. And that what that does is it takes you, you round the Cape by like 300 miles. So there's no, you, you don't see land for like 50 days.
0: Wow. You know,
1: <laughs> and all you, and as soon as you leave the coast of Brazil, you're out into the South Atlantic and transitioning into the Indian Ocean. And all you would ever see were like whales, dolphins, the occasional uh, albatross. And that's it. And it is just, it, I mean, I sometimes think about it, and I just cannot believe that I was there in that time and in that place. Like, it's just um, indescribable—the whole thing, you know.
0: Indescribable in a good way or in a in a negative way?
1: No, in a great way. I mean, I miss it so much. It's a it's a monk-like existence. I mean, this was back in. Uh, <laughs> Sound like one of those old sailors, like back in my day, <laughs> um, they, we didn't have internet on board. You know, I'll I'll sometimes get messages from my batchmates and friends, and they're like, "Yo, what's up?" And I'm like, "Where are you?" And I'm like, "South Atlantic," <laughs> and you know, you could never do that back then. Like, there was no WhatsApp. Or <laughs> email was just starting to kind of make its uh, way into ships. But yeah, I mean, you you really all you had were, were books. You had an onboard library. You could, I used to write a lot of letters, obviously, and get letters from other people. You'd reread them like 60 times, you know, if it was a girl, you'd read, you'd read like that letter, you know, (laughs) once a day. (laughs) And uh, so, I mean, that whole existence just seems so unreal to me now because I I, I just, you know, you can't have that that kind of isolation again now that, you know, you have internet everywhere.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I met a random person on the plane once and they said that they used to work in those cruise ships that used to go and take people around the world on these cruise ships with their families and stuff like that. But the way that he was describing it sounded really depressing. Like, you know, they would keep you on the ship. You'd you'd eat whatever's left and, you know, they wouldn't see friends and family for a very long time. Uh, and then make a little bit of money. And, and, but basically they were, you know, they'd probably get 30 days on land, uh, for the year or something like that. But they were just mostly away at, at, at ship for most of the time. And, um, uh, yeah, that's sort of why I was asking. I mean, it's, it's good to hear that you had a positive experience. Like for me, mentally trying to digest that, I'm thinking, shit, man, like it's that's, that's, uh, that's a long way, that's a long time to be away, right? So uh,
1: I might have the numbers off, but the average cruise ship, I think that the crew is about a thousand strong. And then you've got thousands of passengers on on the trips when you have passengers on board. Imagine that, but with 24 people, <laughs> you know? So uh, that's what I mean when I say it was a very monk-like existence. You know, you'd... Uh, I used to write a lot. I used to, you know, you just have a lot of time to think.
0: <laughs> about Yeah, no, it sounds really spiritual. But like, what was the purpose of, I guess, the 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 ship, like, just traveling around? Were they on specific exercises? Was, I'm assuming it was a military uh ship. Right? No,
1: no, sorry, I should have. Uh, so this was uh, actually uh, just uh, cargo ships. Cargo uh, okay, ships. Ah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay. so for example, you know, you take a full load of uh iron ore. It looks like sand, but it's iron ore from yeah. I don't know a company like say Rio Tinto in. Sao in, Luis in Brazil. And then you take it to a steel mill in Japan. Ah,
0: okay, got it. And
1: then you drop it off. And then we used to go to a place called Dampier, which you've never heard of. It's it's on the northwest corner of your country, if you're a great country. And uh, this place was just like the back of beyond. The bar was literally cut out of a, of a container. <laughs> and you'd pick up some more uh, sand uh, from there, iron ore, and take it to a steel mill in Italy. So, you know, just stuff like that. Wow.
0: <laughs> and, and, and you'd just be hanging out with a group of guys all the time, like getting yeah. to know each other well, playing, playing cards and hanging out.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's really it. Sometimes you'd have, uh, so the, the officers, like the senior officers, the captain and the chief engineer could bring their family along. But yeah, so for the most part, it was just um, you and, and the crew, you know. And, and it's a funny contrast to flying planes now, where I sometimes fly with, you know, first officers who complain about captains and they're like, oh, this guy is a hard ass. And, you know, uh, he was writing, he, you know, he was giving me shit for something. And I'm like, try doing that for six months, you know. <laughs> but, uh yeah, so, I mean, you, you were basically stuck
0: with whoever you got and you learned to get along
1: is, is the basic, is the main takeaway, really.
0: Yeah, oh, nice. And so talk, talk to me about, um, you know, you going all in to get all your life savings, Borrow money from your parents to get a pilot license. What was that experience like? Was that a big critical turning point for you? Um, was that sort of a stressful thing? Like, what was that sort of journey? And I guess why did you? Why did you sort of do it? Like, what sort of inspired you to, to take that route? Uh, the
1: short answer is uh, I want to say desperation. <laughs> I was ready to leave the ship. You know, I, I was um, definitely ready to move on, and I knew I was getting to a point. I'd been in it nine years. And you have to kind of either make a choice and commit and then go out, go up to captain or leave. So I started to realize that it was now or never. And I'd always wanted to be a pilot, you know, growing up uh, around aircraft as I did. And so it was just the most incredible time of my life. You know, I got a phone call from my brother. I was in South Africa in a place called Saldana Bay. And I got a call from uh, my brother, by the way, who's also a bunk, tumor. And he... Mm -hmm. he just said look uh, there are all these jobs opening up do you have you even thought about like maybe getting your license and it's just like a light bulb went off and uh, next thing you know you know uh, spoke to dad and mom dad was completely against it he was like what the hell are you doing you know you don't even have the money for it i'm like yeah about that <laughs> um <laughs> but you know it, it was just incredible like the, my parents were so supportive at the end of it and they They basically, they actually sold a piece of land so that I could get the money to go to, part of the money to go to flight school, which I, you can imagine in, you know, in India and and anywhere else really is, it's a huge deal, you know, imagine. And so they did that for me.
0: So how much was like a, you know, to get, to get your pilot license? Like
1: The whole thing was $46,000. I remember it down to the dollar. Yeah. I was at uh, this incredible flight school in, in Tulsa that had ran what they call a guaranteed program. So as long as you didn't screw up too badly, they would just allow you to fly as much as you needed to get your license. And some students took uh, you know, less time, some took more, and then you know, I, I took kind of an average amount of time for it. And uh, so, yeah, it was $46,000, including accommodation.
0: <laughs> was your was father being a pilot Anything to do with your decision with, you know, wanting to fly planes at all? Or?
1: See, you know, this is, uh, it's funny. So uh, my father's actually a, a doctor. He's a, he's a, what you would call a flight surgeon or an aviation medicine doctor, or as he likes to call it, Hawaii, which is a funny way of saying it in, in Hindi. But uh, um, so that's his specialization. He's um, an aviation medicine guy. But from the time I was, from from early childhood, my brother and I grew up like, he would constantly bring us home, these World War II comics of these fighter aces coming in from the sun, you know, jumping uh, a, a squadron of Messerschmitt 109s. and So, I mean, just from the time we were kids, like we were just surrounded by aircraft and aircraft lore and, you know, just, uh, it was part of, and I, and it's also because my dad loved it. You know, that's the reason he chose that speciality as well is because he just loved being, did a lot of studies, uh, you know, in the Air Force for uh, studying the effects of you know, fighter flying on the human body and all the rest of it. So did a lot of research and, and his research was getting to ride along in fighter jets, you know. <laughs> so so uh, imagine like he had a lot more fun than maybe his friends who were doing, I don't know, uh, surgery or something else, you know. So, um, so I think it was definitely one of those things where it was like a childhood thing, you know.
0: Nice. I, I mean, um, admittedly growing up, I was... Um... Absolutely enamored with uh, Top Gun when that came out. So I think uh, yeah. yeah, wanted to be a maverick and uh, get to flight school and, um, and pick up all the chicks, right? Because I think, I don't know, man, like I think there's just <laughs> some professions in life where they just feel really glamorous, right? I think like being a pilot puts you up there, right? Because you're surrounded by hot air stewardesses all day. Like, um...
1: <laughs> Gosh. Uh, yeah. Um... Yeah, I mean the glamour of it is uh, definitely, you know, at least on the outside, it's, it's a huge, huge factor. Uh, obviously, once you're in it, you know, the reality hits, and, and there's you know a lot more to consider. But look, uh, well, here, here's how this is going to work: you, you're going to you're going to find a flight school whenever you're in a place that, you know, <laughs> I don't know about Hong but I don't know about Hong Kong, but like maybe when you're back in Oz or when you're in the US next. I'm going to require you to please open Google, (laughs) Google flight school. This is how it works, right? And and you just find a flight school that's close by and hit call. Call them, someone will pick up. You say, look, I'm looking for a discovery flight. Okay. They'll, you know, fall over themselves trying to welcome you and trying to make your discovery flight as fun as possible. It used to be about $50 to $75 back in my day, back when I did it it's uh lately a friend of mine who I just brainwashed into doing it told me it was uh, hundred and seventy five dollars now, but uh, again, you know gas fees on a on a good mint um, <laughs> so you all you, all I'm asking you to do is do this discovery flight, okay, and in that flight, the flight school and the instructor that you're going up with is going to let you do everything, almost everything, and so you get a really good feel for just flying a two seater or a four seater plane so i i i'm just i'm not going to stop until i get you to no, do no, it no, so,
0: okay so let me ask you something you are you're, you're very convincing and it makes me want to look up google right now but why <laughs> why why, why ah, should i do this great. that's a great question
1: wow you're so good uh, so look I, it's going to get a bit philosophical but like we're human okay and we're alive today okay what defines the human experience today to my mind there's two things. There's the human connection. So it could be a loved one, parents, maybe kids. That's the first thing. That's the first sort of basic sort of proof that you're human is this having a human connection. Okay. The second thing is taking flight. No human until like a hundred years ago could even do that, could dream of doing it. Actually, up to maybe even 50 years ago, there was a gigantic swath of like, a part of the population that couldn't even dream of getting into an airplane and flying it and i think most of us listening here and, and you know are lucky privileged lucky uh, you know blessed enough to be able to do this and so i always say like you know this is part of being human and part of celebrating human life is taking flight and there's a moment in your flight training so how it goes is you do your discovery flight you'll be hooked i promise you start flying you find an instructor you like you find a flight school you like it's near nearby and you go up with your instructor and you become good friends with them. And and they're showing you the ropes, right, of how to fly an airplane. And what typically happens is you do what's called a circuit pattern. You take off, you turn left, you turn left again, you come down past the runway, turn left again, and then line up for the runway and land. And you just keep doing that in circuits. And that's how you get your flying and landing practice. One day it's going to be bright, sunny, calm, you know, calm conditions. You'll be doing your circuits with your instructor. And he or she is going to say, you know something? Stop the plane right here or just c- c- taxi out down to the side. I'm getting off. And you'll know that that's the day you're about to go solo. Okay, your instructor has decided that you're ready. And you're like, you have no time to celebrate, no time to feel nervous, no time for anything. It's pure focus. This is another reason I love flying is because when the door closed, it's pure meditation. You know, it's you and the aircraft. Um, And so uh, you're going to close the door, you're going to taxi back out to the runway and you're going to take off and do three landings and takeoffs. That's an FAA requirement. And this act of going solo, like, you know, it's it's spiritual. It is so powerful. And it's simply you taking the reins of your own life and flying yourself to the goddamn air in an airplane. You know, it is life-changing. It is indescribable you have to go through it to believe it it's not that uh far out like it's it can you know some people do their f- full private license in a month and it costs it used to be like i don't know five thousand two thousand to five thousand dollars is probably a little higher now um but all i'm saying is this is happening this has to happen <laughs> and i hope that uh, you know whether it's for the spiritual aspect of it or whether it's just for the fun uh, aspect of it uh, i've I think I've given you enough reasons.
0: <laughs> no, I, I um I think it's very compelling. Um, so so well done on uh, on, on getting that through. <laughs> but uh, you know, full credit to you as well, Ozark. It sounds like um I can sort of see and hear, I guess the um the passion in your voice when you're talking about flying. And I think it's pretty rare for most people to find something that they absolutely love. And I think uh, and this is you know something that's quite beautiful as you're sort of talking. You, you come across as a a uh, very strong purist. Um, and, and maybe that translates into other elements of your life in terms of, um, you know, your artwork and the photos that you take and the way that you sort of collect as well. So um, so, so appreciate you uh, sharing that with me. But I guess transitioning from your journey from being a few years on a ship, then flying in solitude on a plane, how did you get any time to get into crypto and DJ and like the rest of us, like, what was that sort of journey for you?
1: I read incessantly. I can't stop reading. Um, it's something that I think comes from my mom. You know, she would read to us uh, every night. Um, and I'm trying to do the same now with, with my daughter. And it was something that was just, you know, I, I grew up uh, an absolute bookworm, my brother and I both. And you can't leave me alone for more than five minutes, and, and um, I'm not reading something, you know. So I, I came across crypto in 2015 first, in not Mashable, was the other one, Wired, maybe I don't know, in one of these uh, publications, you know, there was an article about TechCrunch, tech TechCrunch, that's what it was. And again, I, I read, I read about it, didn't register, nothing happened. Wish something had happened or clicked, but didn't. 2016 again. I read, I read about Bitcoin again in TechCrunch, and again nothing happened. And <laughs> again, I wish you know. But in 2017, this is this is crazy. Um, I've told it so many times. I was in the bunk of an airliner. So you know the planes that I fly, they fly ultra long haul, which means you fly like you know I don't know Dubai, Melbourne, or Dubai, Houston, stuff like that. And so on those flights, you have four pilots. two pilots are in the bunk resting, two pilots are flying the plane, autopilot's doing most of the, the, the work, but you know you're, you're there as a systems manager sort of thing. Anyway, I was in the bunk on my rest, and uh, again, I can't go to sleep without reading something, and so I picked up, of all things, a copy of "The Economist." <laughs> like the dirty, dirty economist, like you know, <laughs> I'm reading this stupid thing, and uh, it's got an article on Bitcoin. And this was mid 2017. And I just remember we were flying back from wherever we were. I think it was in the US somewhere. And we're coming back to, oh, it was SF, uh, Dubai. And I was in that bunk and just everything finally clicked. All the, the the last two times I'd read about it, a few other, you know, little things that I'd heard about it, like I, I all just clicked. And I realized like, oh, you know, it's one of those things where you you. Just, sit up, bolt upright, and you're like, I have made a terrible mistake, you know, (laughs) and and like for the next, um, well, effectively, ever since then, I have been more or less full-time in crypto, like, full-time meaning apart from when I'm trying to fly planes, like, I, I have just devoted, like, every single, you know, spare moment to crypto, and to reading about crypto, and, 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 Of course, degenning along with the the rest of us, Um, you know, uh, but yeah, that first few months was intense. I mean, you know, they call it the Bitcoin rabbit hole for a reason. It really is. It is like that. I, you know, I found the. I was very lucky. You know, uh, Marcus Aurelius thanks all his teachers at the beginning of his book. You know, (laughs) and I was very lucky as well to have. So that was my introduction to Twitter. I find I had to get on Twitter to you know learn more, and immediately it blew my mind that I could follow. Adam back. Like, what is that? You can literally follow this person who's living, who's an actual legend. Quite possibly Satoshi, if not, you know, one of the collaborators. Certainly, the only man you know co- quoted in the Bitcoin white paper. Uh, you've I followed Nick Sabo, who, by the way, <laughs> subsequently blocked me, which is a a badge of honor. If you know, you know.
0: <laughs> well, why? Why uh, did he? Why did he block you?
1: <laughs> so Nick Sabo. <laughs> it's, it's almost a meme. Getting blocked by Nick is like uh, it's a meme now. So. Nick Savo, so he's an absolute OG. You know, he's one of the cypherpunks. Yeah, um, and uh, and so I I got into uh, you know it's it's like that beginner syndrome where like I didn't know any better, and so in 2017 you could get into a, a thread or a chat or reply to Vitalik or to Nick and they would engage. So I was uh, we were talk- <laughs> we were talking about the, uh, the 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 nuances of of um, proof of stake, because at the time, that was the big thing was, oh, we're going to move to proof of stake. And Nick Sabo obviously, uh, and to an extent, me uh, too, to this day, like a little bit like, you know, proof of stake is a perpetual motion machine. Like, it's like, you know, it's not really uh, defensible uh, or, or, you know, uh, can stand up to, you know, nation state level attacks, blah, 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 blah all of that stuff. And so we there was this uh, thread and i was i replied to vitalic vitalic replied to someone else and then i i tagged uh nick sabo and uh, a guy called dan Larimer who who founded uh, eos you know uh, yes, and, yeah. and and dan had written extensively on and had spoken on the epicenter podcast about uh delegated proof of stake and slashing conditions and slashing conditions is a fascinating aspect of the whole thing because um you know how do you slash when do you slash who do you slash you know uh, that becomes a of a big central sort of aspect uh, of how you, uh, I don't know, gear the um, incentives in in proof of stake, right? And so I tagged this guy, and it's like Nick Savo immediately blocked me because he was just like, don't come <laughs> at me with this P- POS stuff. <laughs> And uh, that was that was the end of that. And I, I mean, we all, I think, a lot of us back then, like carry uh, Zabo blocks. You know, I, I wish you could just mint it
0: as an NFT. That would be like <laughs> one of my one of my proudest. Uh, did, NFTs. did you did you ever did you ever cross paths with uh, Craig Wright?
1: Of course, my God! I mean, you couldn't be around back then. With the big blocker thing and, and uh, the UASF <laughs> and not heard of that guy, you know, like, yeah. I mean, I never crossed paths with him, like, actually, but like, yeah, he was all over, right? Like, at the time. Yeah. Yeah, it was Craig Wright. It was, uh, who are the other big figures then? Roger Ver. <laughs> and, um, yeah. Uh, who else? Yeah, all of these people.
0: Yeah, that was, uh, I mean, that, I wasn't sort of super deep into it, but I mean, there's Bitcoin Maxi still stick around today. Like, I think the, who was that guy that wrote that book? Um, Safedin yeah. yeah, so he's yeah. still around as well.
1: See, the, the, the Bitcoin Maxi thing, like, in order to understand the Bitcoin Maxi situation, you have to, so I actually, part of that falling down the rabbit hole was reading the Cypherpunks mailing list. I essentially scrolled through the whole thing back then. I had the time. <laughs> And, um, you, you get a sense of just how principled, uh, you could even maybe say paranoid the original, you know, the cypherpunks were because they were around at the beginning of the internet and very quickly they realized that, okay, this is so powerful. You know, computing is powerful, networked computing even more so. And so they were able to recognize very early on that, you know, there was going to there, there would be a fight for that kind of power. And there would be a need for, you know, protection from that kind of power grab. And so they realized quite early the need for and, and the power of encryption. And so when you, when you when you go through, I mean, you know, Bitcoin Maxis get a bad rap. <laughs> they,
0: they, admittedly. Like they're dicks. Let's admit it. <laughs> like, they're dicks, right? Like. <laughs> Uh, I mean, they—they're they are they, they call it, they're, 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 they're like uh, shit coins with pictures. That's what they call us, right? So um,
1: that's true. But I mean, I, I have to say, like, being sort of having started uh, as one uh, myself, um, I do see where they're coming from. Is all I is all I'll say. You know, you 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 realize that they're very concerned with nation state level attacks. Like, you know, is your coin going to stand up to the United States? you know, and all its warships and all the king's horses and all of it. Is your coin going to, you know, be able to do that or not? If it's not, then it's not worth it. Why are you even bothering? So there's, you know, pretty good, uh, you know, plausibly plausible decentralization.
0: I, I, I get all that too, but I, th- I think um, uh, I guess we, not to get down to the rabbit hole, but like, th- there's varying degrees of decentralization, right? And I think the Bitcoin maxes are like, you know, yeah way on one side and absolutely skewed. Everything else is a shit coin and doesn't listen. But it's, it's a one trick pony. It's great you've got security, but you've only got security for one asset that can do only one thing is just be traded and held with each other. But what about the rest of the digital assets? How do you secure that? Right? So like um, I just came back from a trip from London and just nerded out on some of the history and museums and stuff there. You know, going through all the medieval times and having a look at all the kings and queens and all that sort of history. and. And I think I was just sitting there thinking to myself, and I uh, I think my my fiance really hates it because I relate everything back to crypto, right?
1: Life <laughs> and everything else.
0: You do. And, and, uh, <laughs> and, and, I, and I, I sort of said to her, like, you know, it's it's kind of amazing, right? Because in terms of how we've come from history, we're basically, if you think about in the real life to have property rights, the only way you can enforce property rights is if you actually have a king, a crown, Military, a government, or someone like that that can actually enforce it for you, mm-hmm. or otherwise it's just going to be, you know, big barbarians walking around going, "I like your shirt, Ozark. Yeah. <laughs> take, t- take take that off," right? Yeah. <laughs> like, what 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 are you going to do? Nobody can protect you, right? And so, and so you 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 translate through to digital property and digital assets. It's like there's different degrees of centralization and decentralization and security that are going to protect you from. From those things. And the beautiful thing is that, you know, there's no militaries that can actually, you know, do anything about any of this stuff, right? So um, yeah, so I think like, and I think that's why fundamentally I keep coming back down to ETH, right? Um, but anyway, that's that's uh, that's my sort of view. I'll take on it.
1: No, I, uh, absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of like, so Bitcoin development, you know, is, there's a lot going on. I know it doesn't seem like it on the outside, but like, you know, I've, I've been subscribed to the, 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 mailing list the dev mailing list since 17 like on the time i started and you get the you get these mails and there's a lot going on under the surface i i admit I admit <laughs> you know there's a lot of, there's not a lot of excitement or any of the, you know brand new announcements and you know the merge and the splurge and all that catchy stuff like it's
0: yeah no i get that i mean like but like, i'm sort of standing back and i'm i'm asking myself like why you know like i mean bitcoin is great for what it does store value you know, it's perfect for that. And I know people started to experiment with BTC ordinals and all that type of stuff. And yeah. it just feels like, it just it just has a, a very grifty element to it. And I apologize if anybody's big into that. So I'm not fighting your bags.
1: <laughs> I'm not. Um, I, I gave that thing a, but, whole, but, a big miss,
0: yeah. Yeah, so so like it's just, um yeah, it, I mean, and I get the whole permanence thing, but it's just, it's neither here nor there for me, I think. But anyway, so like, so you went through Bitcoin, you know, got absolutely red-pilled. When did you buy your first NFT? Like, what was your first NFT?
1: So the first NFT was a punk uh, in 2019. Wow. And uh, I mean, (laughs) so by the way, like the first time I heard of punks was 2017, literally. um, So I I just spent all this time talking about how I was a Bitcoin maxi. And yet, within a month of getting into Bitcoin, I was like, you know, shit coining at the ICO craze and (laughs) at the casino, (laughs) like, like the best of us, like (laughs) (laughs) Like all of us. Um, So, and you know, uh, I'm sure, I don't know if, so you'd run a full node, an Ethereum node that would just absolutely brick my, my Mac (laughs) and, uh, and all of it. But then you, you know, a lot of the ICOs, then you would send BTC to an address and they would then send you ETH and stuff like that, which is how I got into the whole thing. And, I remember, you remember December of 17, the chain was unusable. And I I was like, what the heck is going on? And then oh, it's CryptoKitties. What the heck are CryptoKitties? And uh, so that's how I sort of discovered the the whole 721 thing. And then obviously that, that leads quite quickly to Punks. So I knew about Punks in 17. I knew about them in 18. And I'd, I was still like, oh, we're going to change the world. You know, this is like, you know, I was very sort of idealistic about my approach and and my investing as well in the space. And I was like trying to find, you know, all the stuff that was going to change the world. And one of those things was ENS. You know, that was a big thing back then and and still is. But I don't remember who it was, but I could I can swear it was an ENS dev. I Lately, I've started to think it might be Scott Lewis, who's not an ENS dev, but It was someone that I was following that had, that put on a punk PFP in the middle of 19. And I was just like, okay, guess I'm getting a punk then. And went out to the marketplace and bought the absolute floor. And she was uh, almost the same as the one I have now, which is the bandana. Just a floor punk for like a hundred dollars or something like that. And that was it. And I didn't give it a second thought. You know, I, uh, my alt uh, Twitter account, the one that I've had from 17, like I just changed the, the PFP to that and just kept it. That was it. Nice. Oh, so you, you still have it? No, so uh, in 2020, when you had that run up, I wrapped her and uh, sold her and then bought, bought something similar back the next day after panicking. So basically every mistake that you can make in NFTs, I've made, but with punks. <laughs> <laughs> like everything from not understanding what you're buying to not appreciating what you're buying to not buying enough of what you're buying not having the conviction and uh, we can get into it later it used to be hard to talk about but i, I also borrowed against uh four punks once and basically blew the stack and and um lost lost those punks to nftx and yeah so the 2019 got the got that one and didn't really think too much about it uh And went back to sort of looking into, you know, back then DeFi was starting to take off and uh, ENS I thought was going to change the world. I still still do actually. But uh, I was like focusing on other things and didn't realize what was happening right under my nose. You know, this this absolute, of, of course, had I joined the Discord, which I didn't know about, I didn't join Discord back then. I didn't even have Discord installed. Had I joined the Punks, you know, Discord, I'd be in a very different position today. You know, with Eric announcing art blocks and all the rest of it, but um, in twenty was it twenty twenty? We had like this. So I followed this guy called Not So Fast, which is one of my favorite followers on on, on Twitter. And he started tweeting, kind of like, "Oh, this is the last time you ever see punks under one ETH. The last time you ever see punks under two ETH, uh, or maybe it was USD that he was tweeting." And you know, it was just. I started to realize, it started to slowly, just like with BTC, you know, I had to, <laughs> it took a while f- for me to realize like, oh, holy heck, I've made a terrible mistake. You should go buy more. And by this time, it was like, you know, September, uh, t- towards the end of 2020, you were, you were, you were looking at floors in the five ETH range. And I bought four more punks then. And then when we had that big run-up, the, you, you heard of NFTX, I'm sure. Uh, Yeah, the protocol protocol. yeah Mm. so you could just i i did a test transaction with a hash mask (laughs) i had admitted six hash masks and uh put one in you get uh, some kind of hash mask token out that you could then lp on sushi swap to earn more you could then farm sushi with it and and i think later they added nftx farming as well if you you know deposited the lp back in nftx something like that but uh the point is uh saw that the system worked and almost you know when we were having that run up to the twenties and thirty range, I basically borrowed against uh these punks and and um yeah, I just basically wasn't able to recover the
0: Ah uh, <laughs> uh, shit. So, so so you lost four punks?
1: Lost four punks and, and in that run up to uh in the twenties, I bought another one. And that was the time when I, I kind of red pilled my brother to buy one. He decided to go a little above floor, got his in the twenty-five range or something like that. Who's your brother? Uh, so he goes by Tumo on uh, in the Discord and on, on on Telegram, and he's in the SG Punks uh, group, I think. Uh okay. Telegram, cool. yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's uh, you know, I got him into squiggles uh punks uh, recently uh, winds of yawanawa so he's always kinda of degen right beside me.
0: You, the, the you, is, you must have sorry. been speak you must have been speaking to death punk if you're dropping winds of uh <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah,
1: you're right. You're absolutely right. Uh, I've been the <laughs> refic pilled by, by Dap.
0: I think all of us, yeah. but it's a beautiful piece. Yeah. Beautiful collection. Oh,
1: yes, it's wonderful. i super excited.
0: Yeah. Got it. So, so you lost four punks and then you, you got your current punk. Uh, so the three at, ed, at um, female bandana, green eyeshadow, purple lipstick, like, uh, of all the punks, like you could have chosen. Why, why did you, you know, go for this one?
1: It's the same as the, uh, all the others, uh, was just the flow, honestly. um, so the first punk I got, I had to make a quick decision. And I said, look, uh, we didn't have uh, our daughter at the time. Uh, we were trying for a baby and I and I always wanted uh, to have a daughter. So I just figured, for, I mean, it's kind of silly, but I just said, okay, you know, in the event that I do, uh, we do uh, have a daughter, we need to have a punk ready for her. And so that was really... <laughs> That was really it. Yeah, it was not, just like floor price, and and uh, and you know, and I remember thinking, I remember reading about, oh, uh, females are slightly rarer than males, and like, there's a slightly lesser population of them. So um, that was another thing that played into it. But yeah, there was a time when I really wanted to have like you know punks for all my kids and grandkids and all of it. Obviously, that's kind of probably not going to happen at this point. But I did keep all the bits from them. So you know, eight bits, never sold, never thought of selling. What do you think they'll
0: they do with MeBits now? They're in a bit of a hard spot, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, they are. But uh, I've, you know, unbothered, <laughs> moisturized in my lane. Uh, I'm hugely, hugely bullish on MeBits. I just, I can't, uh, you know, there's that meme of you are not sufficiently bullish? Like, I mean, <laughs> in the long term, I, I, I really think there's just, they're a no-brainer. They're the first uh, 3D avatars, you know, for the metaverse. Um Diamond Hands. From yeah,
0: from Lava, you know. It's uh yeah. So so I mentioned um you mentioned you collect some art box, and I think you, you mentioned swiggles. Um what do you collect? Like what do you what's your sort of favorite, you know, NFTs to sort of collect? Like what's it, what's it, what's in your bag?
1: Oh my goodness. Um yeah, so minted my first art blocks uh in season two. It was um 27-bit digital by Kai, who's also a very famous me, but and um a uh, lot of gen art. You know, I I, I didn't play Art Rock Summer uh, as it should have been played, obviously. Uh, like when Fidenza minted, I was out hiking in this place called Storm King up in uh, New Jersey. And just didn't pay. I saw the email come in. I remember thinking, ah, oh, this is beautiful. And then just didn't do anything about it. <laughs> so I just had fun with it. And I think that's always been all the times when I've tried to do something because I'm chasing it, or because I think it's going to moon. I've just always been burnt by it. And so all the times that I've just had fun, uh, it's just turned out by mistake that, you know, I ended up, you know, buying stuff that I love and, 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 uh, you know, whether it does well or not. So, uh, I think to answer the question, it's really just been about just having fun, you know? and of course you're like another thing i love to do is i'm, I'm a joiner you know so i'll coffee coffee trade a lot of like of friends like as we just saw with, with Dap and <laughs> all of that stuff uh, he he hasn't convinced me to buy any uh, icon bags as yet uh, that's coming soon
0: coming let me show those with you <laughs>
1: yeah actually to be honest i did pick up two just after <laughs> <laughs> you see what i mean like i'm just like uh you know beyond help like i see someone minting something and i uh, i'll get into it like you know i don't know if you know a guy called tarun chitra a uh, huge fan of tarun and you know he runs uh, gauntlet which is like this consultancy type thing and he puts out the most esoteric like w- crazy tweets about like you know high level mathematics and he'll be like yeah, it's just these crazy tweets. And I, there was a time when I was just lapping up everything he was putting out. And I uh, and he changed his profile picture to a milady. And this was just after they minted. And they were like point 0.2 or point 0.3. And I'm like, okay, Tarun's got a milady. I, I got to get a milady. And that put me down that whole rabbit hole. And, you know, it was the whole thing has been fascinating. So, yeah, so that's kind of my style is just having fun, you know, looking at other what other people are doing and just kind of,
0: yeah. Gotcha, what about your um, project Voyages? Do you want to talk about that a little bit, like what that is and uh, uh, and I guess your inspiration behind it?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, back when I was like early 30s, I started to really look back at everything and I started to just be like, you know, I uh, guess it was a midlife, I hope, quarter-life crisis, but midlife crisis. So just trying to just question like what in the heck everything meant. And you know, I was going through a personal setback in a relationship, and I was uh, really sort of trying to make sense of everything. You know, I realized quite quickly that I'd have to try and express it somehow. And, you know, the only two art forms that I'd been practicing on the regular were writing and, and photography. So I started writing a little bit. And so I've been, you know, my parents put a camera in me, in my hands, since uh, from the time I was five years old taking pictures. I still have the first reel. It was called a hot shot camera. (laughs) And it was was shot on like 110 film. This tiny little thing. I still have the photographs from that first reel I shot. And this photograph of me, I took a picture of my brother, my brother's holding a mirror. And in the mirror, you can see my reflection. And that was like my first, one of my first photographs. And this was uh, when I was five and i've never not had a camera in my hand and i've always loved taking pictures of people and and um and the places that i've visited and um i found myself slowly you know just drifting away from taking pictures of people and portraits and stuff i used to shoot weddings and events and all of it i've done quite a lot of stuff in photography that way and uh, i just started taking pictures of the sky and realized that maybe there was something there, you know, and basically started to do this kind of groundwork for Voyages. It wasn't called Voyages at the time, it was going to be called Sky. That's really it. I At the time, I thought I was going to have to do the work of, you know, trying to find representation with galleries and all of it. This was obviously before NFTs. So the earliest photograph in the collection is uh, from 2015. And the latest one is from 2019. So... Uh, And it really is, you know, I call it uh, a photographic journal of life in the sky. And it's really just about me trying to translate this experience of being on the road so much from the time I was a child, you know, moving bases um, and then on the ship, you know, moving your whole house is (laughs) moving in a sense, you know, you're living on the ship and then becoming a pilot where it's like just this constant displacement, constant movement. And um, I tried to really make sense of it through this project. And the hope for voyages is that each of these photographs finds a home with, you know, someone that feels about the world or sees the world the way that I do.
0: Yeah, they're beautiful, man, like uh, sort of aerial views. And uh, I think going back to the way that you were describing flying for you, it's um, it's very peaceful and serene and uh, calm, right? So that's uh, no, a beautiful uh, collection you have, mate. Yeah, and I sort of noticed you've got some pretty good um collectors as well. So I think I sort of see some pretty familiar names. Snowfro, Malat, Jalil. I've I've been incredibly blessed.
1: By the time I, I don't know how when this is coming out, but by the time this is out, uh, I would have invited the punks to to claim. I I started by just uh, you know asking friends and family to to choose uh, one to claim and the next step is to then ask uh, if any punks want want would like to claim one and, uh, and then kind of open it out to many of the other communities that I'm grateful to be a part of. But yeah, it's just been, so uh, the whole thing has been so fascinating to me, like, you know, cause my being a degen myself, like, you know, you had, you, you get to, with your own project, you're like, okay, how do I figure this out? How do I structure the, uh, the, the mint and, and, you know, cause you see all these artists, you know, trying to do Trying to find new and innovative ways of 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 minting and and it was always an awkward thing for me because I'm not very good with like you know asking people to hey you know come mint this, this point to eat, you know that kind of stuff and so I think the dynamic that I've settled on now uh, has been if I may say so myself like it's just been really successful for me personally like so uh, how it works is it's they're free or you pay as you like and and I, I got a lot of feedback from some collectors early on. I was like, don't offer them for free. It means you're not valuing your work. And I'm like, how can I not value my work? Like, this is me. Like, this is 10 years of my life, you know. It's literally, like, my, hopefully my legacy, you know. But uh, I see what they're saying. But at the same time, like, you know, the I started to think about, like, how I should do it. And I realized that I wanted, the chief, so the main goal was to, put, to get these in the hands of fellow voyagers, you know, B- basically try and find my, my my sort of fellow tribe of, of travelers and adventurers. And and so I realized that I didn't want to sort of put any kind of barriers to entry whatsoever. And it does disorient some people, like you'll send them a DM and they're like, hey, you know, I love what you're doing. We've been friends for a while. Would you like to claim our voyages? And they're like, "Yep, sure. How much is it? And I'm like, well, they're free or you can pay as you like. And they're like, what? No, you know. This sounds scammy, and I'm like, no, I really mean it. It's there, you know. It's just you pay whatever you want, and some people have paid zero point zero zero six nine, and some people have paid you know a lot more, and it's just it's been incredible to watch. And also, the other thing I find is like people have like very intimate relationship with money, and it's one of I feel like with, you know with a with a human being there's there's money, spirituality, sexuality. Like these are the three sort of core things in a person, and your relationship with money, like I don't want to get into that. Like, you know, you, you can choose, you're free to sort of decide.
0: Yeah. No. It, it's it's interesting, right? Cause like I think when you're talking about it, I sort of feel like part of the body of work of an NFT collection is also how you how you drop it on the primary, right? Because that's that's also a signal of your values. And I, I think in some ways, you know, it is probably congruent with the way that you're describing your joy, enjoyment and passion for flying and what you sort of see in voyages, it's 15 years of work. And you want to sort of share that in a purest way, right? And so I think like the way that you've done it, it sounds like it's, it's fits nicely into the narrative. It's just like, you know, when you get like, you know, a trad, trad fire, a, a trad artist coming into this space and they sort of, you know, yes. haven't been in web three, haven't done any research or not. They've got a whole bunch of guys working in the background and they're dropping stuff for two ETH and, you know, a thousand <laughs> editions or whatever it is. And you're just like, going that's that's a, that's a fee grab, right? So um, it's just inconsistent and incongruent with, um, I guess, you know, what the artist is trying to say and, 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 and message. Um, but, yeah, so I, th- I think the way that you sort of done it sort of makes a lot of sense uh, in, in many ways. Yeah, the, that's exactly right. And the other, the funny thing about that is Voyages
1: by its very nature is a collaboration it's a call out it's it's me calling out to the world and saying look i'm you know it's lonely on the road you know where are you let's talk you know let's let's exchange stories you know that's the whole joy of being a traveler is meeting other travelers and talking to them and so the art is as much in you know sort of the the pieces themselves as it is in the connection and that's why i made it invite only and it's going to remain an invite only you know where i i Either I'm sending an invite to a group of people that I'm, you know, fond of or I'm sending one to you individually because I want that connection to happen. I want, you know, people to, hey, you know, and, and that's exactly what's happened so far has been, you know, people reaching out and saying, hey, you know, I really like this picture. Where was this taken? And I just want that little bit of dialogue to happen. And so if it's about connection and if it's about like a collaborative effort, then, you know, I'd rather like you choose what you want to pay because you're almost part of the art yourself by collecting it, you know? So it's been, it's, it's worked out super well so far. I'm, I'm a bit nervous about the, the, the sort of announcing it in the, in the group, but uh, hopefully, hopefully uh, um, I, you know, people get it
0: and, yeah, I think I think so. I think, well, this um, this podcast adds a, another layer of context on who you are as a person and, and what you're trying to accomplish, right? So hopefully that'll add a bit of color for people too. I mean, it definitely has for me, right? So um, so yeah, man, I wish you, wish you luck on it. And uh, yeah, looking forward to sort of seeing you drop that. And uh, I, I guess getting back onto punks a little bit, and a question I typically sort of ask punk casters that come on is, um, if money wasn't an issue, what would be your dream punk? Do you
1: think? Oh my gosh. So the obvious one is the, the pilot helmet, you know, <laughs> the, the, the Mabu. Um, and I saw, I saw, uh, I don't know if you saw it, but like there was a sale a couple of months ago. I, I saw her on the, on the pilot helmet floor and I was like, oh my God, I, you know, I wish. Yeah. So the last one went to Nate Alex. He bought one for, it was, a, it was an incredible buy because someone listed one for like basically free. You know, as we say, and uh, and he he absolutely just swooped in and sniped it, and I was like, I mean, I, I didn't have the ETH uh, by a long shot, but I was just like, oh, I just wish I, you know, <laughs> been smarter throughout uh, the last bull market. Do you see yeah, it? It's, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I keep neat. getting
0: the pilot helmet and the welding welding goggles getting mixed up all the time. Um, yeah, yeah. So this is my this is MB's MB's one. So yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. So the pilot helmet would be the obvious choice, but, and everyone's like, oh, I'm sure you're you're dying to get a pilot helmet. And I'm like, yes, but the ones that actually, uh, I can't uh, believe exist. And they're so incredible are the orange sides. I just cannot, like, I cannot. I I think the orange side in the punk collection is just unspeakably incredible. (laughs) Like I would really, really pop. Yeah. There's just nothing like them. And, uh, yeah, I mean, there's nothing that fills me with regret like like looking at those, you know, and I'm like ah.
0: Now that you sort of mention it, like I don't, I can't think of a punk that has really owned the orange side. Uh, no, no one's trait. done it. No one's done it. Yeah, there's no
1: notable sort of orange side yet. It, they're coming. They're just not here yet.
0: Okay, There that might that might be your next one then. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's no chance. I don't have to eat. <laughs> um, and. If you were to look across, I guess, the the punk community and I think you are being fairly engaged and involved, like who, who would be your favorite punk or series of punks, um, do you think?
1: Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. I mean, I've been so lucky to have met and become friends with all these incredible punks over the years. You know, I... I I just met Tony Herrera in Tokyo, and it's kind of—I think it's become like a rite of passage for being a punk now—is meeting Tony. (laughs) The guy is a legend. Uh, He was just so wonderful in in real life. I just so uh, kicked to meet him. Uh, The first punk I ever met in real life was Drew Scott. (laughs) We were at this um, cocktail party thrown by Dap Punk in New York. Like, this was 21 or was it 22? I can't remember. It has to be 21 because 22 was the brunch, right? Uh, there was no brunch that time. I remember asking the discord, like, is anyone doing anything? And anyway, that was cool. Meeting Dro and meeting a punk in real life for the first time. It uh, was kind of cool. The first punk that I kind of became good friends with was Mallet, you know, uh, here in Dubai, of course. Uh, they spent part of the yeah. year in uh, in Dubai and the man's a legend. <laughs> you've know. you, you you've had him on, I know. And uh, Mallet's Mallet, you know, and uh, my my wife and I are very fond of them and have dinner with them any chance we get. Uh, speaking of legends, Hemba is based uh, in, in, in Dubai, I think for part of the year. Um, but I mean, there's so many incredible, like uh, Seth Goldstein, you know, is um, still to call him a friend. And he's such an inspiration as well. I think the team that he's built around uh, Bright Moments is just absolutely incredible. Uh, Dap Punk, you know, Dapp gave me my start in NFTs. Uh, really? On the, on the, I didn't know um, the story. <laughs> no, I mean on the minting side. So he, he put my, uh, I remember, he, as you know, he pivoted uh, area to Light light.art, uh, the, the NFT photography platform. And for their Genesis collection, he put together this incredible curation board led by uh, Claire Silver. And yeah, and I messaged him going, hey, you know, like, I, I, apart from being, you know, collector, I also have this thing called Voyages. Uh, and he's like, yeah, you know what? Send me a few pictures. I'll put them in front of the curation board. And uh, he did that for me. And and uh, luckily, one of them got selected. So that was the first NFT, essentially, that I ever minted or, you know, got put out there. So deeply grateful to him. Um,
0: that, that, that punk's all right, depending on what day you get him.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. He's okay, yeah.
0: No, I mean, there's so, so, I, mean <laughs> I
1: don't know if you know Pops, the guy who created uh, Regulars. Uh, very yeah, fond yeah. of Pops. Had him on. Yeah, he's, he's a good friend. He's coming out of my have to, I have to listen to that one. Yeah. Uh, the guy's uh, wonderful. Sam, the former CEO of Punks. I don't know if you know Sam. He was doing punk paintings in like 18 and 19. Absolute G. You know, um, Chuli, I got to meet Chuli now twice uh, in a row with both the branches, and this time I got to introduce my wife and daughter to to her, which I, you know, with with Chuli, and and yeah, so like the culture of, um, of a city or a group of people or a town is set in its meeting places, in its town square, you know, and for us, that's the discord, and so I, I feel like I don't think we fully appreciate just how much like Julie and the other mods have done for punks in sort of setting that culture over the years. They're there day in and day out doing it for nothing but love, you know. And um, I really feel like, I know there's been a lot of discussion lately about all of this, but like, I really don't know if they're fully, we fully appreciate just how much they've done for punk culture. And you see it in the telegram now with uh, Sergito Sarhe- and, and, uh, and Isaac, or perhaps Isaac as I call him um you know doing the same like just trying to nudge us to be better and you know trying to keep things civil and and uh, I, you know it's always it's always great meeting meeting these people
0: it's hard to be a mod man like uh, it's hard to keep the vibes keeping going on and consistently right so i think yeah there are unsung heroes for sure right so uh, yeah. i agree with you
1: on the photography side you know got to meet like alejandro cartagena i don't know if you know him He's an absolute legend Justin Abrasano, of course, got to meet him. Uh, Kat Simard and Derek. uh, Just these folks have just done so much for the photography space. Like, there's just lights, uh, lights uh, of, uh, there's just incredible people. Um, But for me, Uh, to answer
0: your question, I I only asked for one name, man. Like, you just,
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh my God. (laughs) How could I not? Um, I mean, no, okay, to answer your question, I mean, to me, it's not even close, it's Eric. You know, Snowfro. Like, yeah. it's not even close. Like, the guy is... I don't think we have fully appreciated just how much he has done and continues to do for our space. You know, all of the things that we take for granted in NFTs, many, most many of those things came straight from him. Like, you know, we talk about charitable giving or things like putting the artist first. Where do you think that came from? It was Eric. And it's only because Eric... That is Eric. And yeah, you, if you've met him, you'll know. like, Just a warm, wonderful human being. And, um, you know, it's just... Uh, there's a lot of like path dependence in these kinds of things, you know. And I, I don't think we fully appreciate just how lucky we were to have someone like him and his team sort of be there at the beginning. You know, it could just as very easily have gone some other direction completely, you know. And all of the stuff that, you know, like charitable giving and putting the artists first... I'm just talking about those are like personal traits of Eric as a as a human. I'm not even talking about like his technical contributions. Like the like, like the one of one of X. The generative, the, the the on-chain deterministic generative one of one of X. Okay. This, and you know, I was saying earlier about you are not sufficiently bullish. Like I see this innovation like as I feel like it's on the same level is like the telephone. (laughs) It's this foundational, you know? (laughs) Never before in the history of humanity have we had a technology where you take a piece of code, an algorithm, you take some randomness, right? And you can, with uh, the click of a button, create a community. Each of the members of that community is unique, just like all of us are. And yet we're one of one of X, you know? And you can scale this, I mean, from... Tens to hundreds to uh, how big was friendship bracelets? It was 40000 Yeah, it's huge. Yeah, it's a lot. Mm. You know, I'm I'm saying this kind of stuff is foundational, and it and I, of course you know Eric, you know he he says it himself. He stands on the shoulders of giants, no question about it. But this basically started with him, and so <laughs> you know I just can't like you know the the guys. It's it's incredible. I'm
0: with you. I I haven't had the opportunity to sit down and have a chat with him. And I do want to get him on podcast at some stage, but I want to try and build up as many podcasts as I can. He's always like the last big boss. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, you know, to to, to translate. But but I mean, like all the people that have been around him, like, you know, Pixel Pete uh, went to college with him, Purple Hat, who I've got coming on soon. Uh, these guys that have been working around with him day in, day out in a very um, volatile, emotional environment. And he's always come out to be a very kind person. And so he really I think, tes- yeah, testing times really proves who you are uh, and what your character is, right? And so, um, you know, let's not forget, so like, you.
1: he's had so much stuff flung at him in various discords. <laughs> you know? a- absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> And I I sometimes don't envy him. I'm like, oh my goodness. You know, I just don't know how. I mean, you know, we went through some pretty trying times. uh, And yeah, absolutely right. Absolutely right. He's handled it so well.
0: What does punk culture mean for you? Like, how would you describe that in a few words?
1: Yeah, yeah. I I love that you asked this and I was thinking about it. And I I really, I think it just comes down to leadership. You know, we've got so many incredible leaders in the space. I think um, innovators leaders yeah that's really it to me is i think this culture of sort of leadership and and sort of blazing trails you know
0: <laughs> absolutely um, i think that's probably right i think most of the web3 sort of leaders uh, that actually have you know influence and that aren't grifty in that sort of uh, <laughs> sort of realm um, tend tend to be punks in some ways and i'm not to sort of try to be biased right but uh, i mean if we could waffle on a few names there and how, how do you feel about V1 punks?
1: So, uh, gosh, I mean, look, the V1 token is, is an important historical and cultural artifact. There's no two ways about it. If you have a V1 token in your wallet, it tells me that you are an absolute OG because you minted punks. And minting minting punks, there is no other, or claiming punks, I should say. There's no other... Um, I mean, it's, it's just pure signal. There's no noise there. You know, it is the absolute purest signal of being an OG is the the fact that you minted a punk, uh, claimed a punk. Okay. So there's just no discussion there. With that said, <laughs> there's some of this terminology that I've, I see being used around the space that I kind of take exception to. Okay. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about this idea of the V1 and V2 situation, you know, um, you and I, we don't go out into the world and tell people, hey, I'm V2 number 3434 or whatever. You no, know, I'm, crypto, I'm CryptoPunk number 3434. No one calls, we don't call ourselves V2s. So I feel like the V1s need to kind of catch up, you know, and just kind of get, get with the plan because there's, to my mind, there's the V1 token and there are CryptoPunks. That's the first thing. The second thing that I uh, sometimes see is this thing of calling Matt and John the founders. Oh, the founders, you know, it's like, oh, the founders this and the founders that. These weren't founders, they're artists. You know, these weren't two guys in Patagonia vests, mm-hmm. like, you know, trying to pitch a deck to
0: <laughs> A16Z,
1: like, oh, this is an app, it's like Tinder, but for pigeons, like, no, it's, these were artists, <laughs> okay? They were trying to create art. You know, Matt and John woke up in this cave, this early civilization called Ethereum. And they just wanted some art on the walls is all they wanted. So I feel like this thing of calling them founders is a little bit sinister because it implies that punks are like this for-profit startup enterprise. And this is, by the way, comes back to this whole thing of the Yuga acquisition and why it dismayed a lot of us. And you speak to some OGs and you see, it's like, you know, the fact, it's not even how much the IP was sold for or who it was sold to. It's the fact that it was sold. You know, that cements this idea of punks being a financialized asset. And I hold my hand up. I'm guilty of it as well. Like I used to go on about, oh, punks are a call option on culture. <laughs> and like, you know, seriously, like I I don't even understand options. Like, you know, <laughs> but, but there's this whole verbiage around like, you know, this idea of punks becoming this for profit, you know, this thing that has Moonage built into it and I feel like it's so damaging, you know. You're calling them the founders. Like, you know, if if say X Xcopy or, or Beeple or, uh, you know, one of these people were to stand up and say, you know, hey, everyone, um, there's this thing I put out on, like Beeple, right? Like if he was to come up and say, look, there's this thing I put out on, I don't know, Tumblr. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't even know what he was putting stuff out on back when no one cared. But like, say he was to say, look, there's something that came out there and I've I, lately it's come to my notice that there's a group of people that want to hold that up as some version of the work that I don't want to be held up as. And I want all of you as my community to just disregard it. All of us would just line up in the telegram or wherever and just put a whole string of salute emojis. Right? And that would be the end of. Like there's no other discussion. of it. Somehow when Matt and John want to express their opinions on... Uh, what their vision was for the for the for the uh, the the work, um, we just don't want to listen. You know, they were essentially hounded out of their own Discord, and I feel like the whole sale to Yoga. You know, famously they said, you know, they kept the autographs because that community didn't give them as much shit about lunchboxes or whatever. I'm just joking about the lunchboxes. But I'm just saying, you know, this thing of calling them uh, the founders is is uh, it it. It's just, uh, it's not right. You know, there are artists. Uh, there's the, and then the final thing about this whole thing is this idea that, you know, there's people that say there's 20,000 punks. I'm like, where did you get that from? You know, if, there, if, if you're one of these people that think that there are 20,000 punks, we need to talk. <laughs> you know, like, there's that old sob or like not ascribing to malice what you can sufficiently describe by, let's just call it ignorance. I feel like we need to talk because there are not 20,000 punks. Okay, there's there's 10,000 of them. And the other thing, the final thing I'll say on this is uh, this whole idea, uh, to me, to my mind, the V1 token does not come with a JPEG. Okay, I know this is probably um, starting from going down a rabbit hole, but like it points to a JPEG. That JPEG belongs to the CryptoPunk. Like the, the V1 token on its own is fascinating and important enough. And you can, you know, build an incredible community around that simple fact. And as CryptoPunks, you know, go up in cultural significance, so too will will the V1 uh, token. You know, there's no question about it. It's an important cultural artifact. But uh, <laughs> I, this is just a few of the thoughts that, you know, I had on this whole thing. And um, I mean, I guess it'll keep going, but I really feel like if, if we can try and course correct now and, and try and fix some of this language that's being used around this whole situation now rather than it'll be harder to fix later, you know.
0: Wow. Ozark. First off, <clears throat> I'm going to burn my Patagonia vest <laughs> as a start. <laughs> <laughs> oh
1: my God. <laughs>
0: uh, but um oh. but wow, you, you, you meme, you've man. really thought uh, deeply about about this. And I really sort of appreciate you um sharing, I guess, your your views. And um and and and, and look, to, admittedly, I think when V1 sort of came on the scene i mean i didn't even know about them until until that sort of um uh sort of blew up but uh, but as i'm sort of starting to learn about them and you know i I sort of share an appreciation them for you uh, uh for them um but but probably share the same sentiments as you i think there's a level of respect there but at the end of the day you know we call ourselves crypto punks we don't call ourselves v2s or whatever it is and i think that's where the conversation should start and stop but I think you mentioned something interesting about Yuga in terms of why you felt that it just didn't feel right. And I think we were talking about um, congruence with your values. And I think you, you sort of ter- use the terminology of founders and artists and, you know, Matt and John were artists. And when they basically sold it to Yuga, basically felt like there was a commercial element to it that really didn't feel like it was... had. A lot of congruence with what punks should have been, or what we thought they were, and and so like at that point in time, like you as a punk holder, like a, um, how did you feel at that time? Like what did what was going through your mind?
1: I'll tell you. I, I, you remember uh, Noah gets up on the bar and goes and starts like, okay, who was here in seventeen? And like one or two hands go up, and like okay, who was here in eighteen? And like a few other hands go up, and I'm and I'm in the back thinking do we really need a caste system here? Like, you know, in my heart just sank. I'm like, this is just, this is, <laughs> you know. Now, with that said, you know, Noah, uh, a legend here, he's, he's done so well to bring us into museums and all of it. So he's definitely redeemed himself. But I, I I told him this at the second Punks franchise. I was like, man, when you first got up on that bar, my heart just sank. I was like, this is not gonna not going to go well. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he's worked hard, and uh, you know, we, all of us send him all all love and best wishes for the for the Baba that's on the way, um, or he's already born, I think. Uh, but yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, he, he said but he yeah. was uh, yeah. leaving. But yeah, no. So I mean, that's just the thing: is is you know, punks have never needed an owner or a leader, it, and I'm talking both the actual punks from the 1980s and the crypto punks. Like we've just never needed anyone to tell us, you know, which direction to go or what to do, which punks just are, you know, and um, so that was, what that was and still is my, my stance is this like, we, you know, uh, the acquisition is, um, is kind of a, you know, part of the story now, no, no question, but uh, yeah, that's how I felt at the, at the beginning of it. And, uh, you know, there's a great parallel, by the way, in, in photography. Yeah, so there's this uh, person called Alfred Stieglitz who was around at the very dawn of photography as a as an artistic medium, and his story is well studied. There's an incredible book on him. It's called uh, An American Seer, and how he defended and promoted photography as an art form. You know, there were all these museums that, like the the Met, uh, the Boston Museum of Fine Arts, um, where. They were like, you know what? We'll put. Photo- this was at a time when photography was looked down upon, and it was looked at like, oh, this is a technical thing. It's not painting. It's not art. And Alfred Stieglitz was one of the first people to put their foot down and say, well, actually, no, it is art. And so the way in which he jealously guarded the provenance and and the, you know, and and, and essentially, you know, worked hard to. On behalf of photography, to to get it the uh, the recognition it deserved. you know, uh, there's a great parallel in that in the story with uh, NFTs in general and punks in particular. So um, I, I have no, I mean, <laughs> you know, I'm not like you are not sufficiently bullish. Like I'm, I'm like so bullish on punks and, and and crypto in general and all of it. You know,
0: you and me both. If you could pass on a message uh, to the owner of your punk eight two seven one, what would you like to say to them?
1: Uh eat your greens. <laughs> she's at uh, she's at the nursery right now, uh, at at her little at her play school. Um but yeah, just and call mom, call dad. <laughs> that's it. She can she can, li-
0: she can listen to this when uh, she's of age. But um yeah. beautiful. Yeah, that's
1: it.
0: Yeah. I was like, um this has been a sort of an enlightening conversation and um wasn't expected to have this uh this level of conversation and connection with you, mate. So um I really appreciate you coming on to, to PunkCast and, and sharing your story. And, you know, I think definitely I'm even more proud to to continually sort of speak to punks like you. I think you spoke about leadership and I think the way that you've sort of spoken today really um, really sort of signals that in terms of how you sort of see punks and uh, where you sort of see us going. So, um, so thank you for being on and, and thank you for being a punk. Any sort of closing remarks and, you know, what's the best way for, for people to find you?
1: Well, first of all, thanks for having me. This has just been incredible fun. Always love talking punks and NFTs. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for this. Um, I'm at Ozark Trent on Twitter. I'm in the Discord and uh, the Telegram, of course. But as far as uh, closing thoughts, please do the Discovery flight, everyone. Get your pilot's license (laughs) if you can.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much again, Ozark. And guys, that wraps up another episode of Punkcast for the week. And uh, we'll be back next week with another punk. Bye for now.